I'm Mark Vinette, and this is The Story of America. In this episode, we encounter the pre-Hispanic Mexico ancient culture and civilization that was the Aztec Empire. Join me as we explore one of the most glorious Mesoamerican societies that eventually influenced the development of America. The Aztec Empire was an alliance of three city-states that ruled the area in and around the Valley of Mexico from 1428 until 1521 AD. The empire was formed from the victorious factions of a civil war in central Mexico. Despite the initial conception of the empire as an alliance of three self-governed city-states, Tenochtitlan quickly became dominant politically and militarily as the capital while the other partners in the alliance had taken subsidiary roles. Tlacalel, the military leader of the capital, was the principal architect of the Aztec Triple Alliance and hence the Aztec Empire. He also instigated a policy of burning the books of conquered Mesoamerican peoples with the aim of erasing all memories of pre-Aztec past. The Aztecs were famous for their agriculture, cultivating all available land introducing irrigation, draining swamps, and creating artificial islands in the lakes. They developed a form of hieroglyphic writing, a complex calendar system, and built famous pyramids and temples. The Aztec power was centered at its capital, supported by many tributary city-states. The Aztecs left rulers of conquered enemies in power so long as they agreed to pay semi-annual tribute as well as supply military forces when needed for the Aztec war efforts. In return, the imperial authority offered protection and political stability and facilitated an integrated economic network of diverse lands and peoples who had significant local autonomy. The Mesoamerican Toltec culture had ruled the Valley of Mexico and beyond beginning in 900 A.D., its sphere of influence reached as far away as the Yucatan Peninsula and the major city of Chichen Itza. After 1200 AD, various nomadic peoples entered the Valley of Mexico, including the Mexica. The Mexica were an indigenous people who were the eventual rulers of the Aztec Empire. When they arrived, they encountered the remnants of the Toltec Kingdom and their mythical history in magnificent cities such as Tula. The later Aztec culture saw the Toltecs and Maya as their intellectual and cultural predecessors. The Aztecs are so-called from Aztlan, meaning white land, an allusion to their origins as a nomadic tribe in northern Mexico. The Mexica are eponymous of the place named Mexico, which refers to the interconnected settlements in the valley that became the site of what is now Mexico City. It held natural, geographical, and population advantages as the metropolitan center of the region of the future Mexican nation. Tenochtitlan was a large Aztec city-state built on an island in what was then Lake Texcoco in the Valley of Mexico and was the capital of the expanding Aztec Empire. At its peak, it was the largest city in the pre-Columbian Americas and one of the most prosperous and populated cities in the world. Today, the ruins of the once magnificent city are located in the historic center of the Mexican capital, modern Mexico City. 
The Mexica, once established in Tenochtitlan, built opulent palaces, impressive public buildings, and marketplaces. Commerce was at the heart of everyday life and trade was the center of social interactions. There was also a botanical garden, zoo, and an aquarium. The city had great symmetry. They constructed grand temples for different purposes, including human and animal sacrifice. Both beauty and savagery existed hand-in-hand in the Aztec world. The state religion of the empire was polytheistic, worshipping a diverse pantheon that included dozens of deities. The imperial deity was represented in the central temple precinct of the capital. People in conquered provinces were allowed to retain and freely continue their own religious traditions, so long as they added to their local pantheons the imperial god, a distinctive warlike patron divinity. The Aztecs would often incorporate gods and goddesses that were borrowed from other geographic regions and peoples into their own religious practices. Like the Maya before them, they had a penchant for human sacrifice. Though blood sacrifice was common in Mesoamerica, the scale of human sacrifice under the Aztecs was unprecedented in the region. Human and animal sacrifice was practiced on a grand scale throughout the Aztec Empire in connection with many religious festivals, which were in the Aztec calendar. Aztec life was thus a constant mix of happy feasting and solemn sacrifices. Life in the Aztec world was full of traditions, some beautiful and others quite macabre from the perspective of modern society. For millennia, the practice of blood sacrifice was widespread in Mesoamerican cultures and a theme in certain religions. Human sacrifice was a very complex, brutal ritual performed in honor of the gods. Every sacrifice had to be meticulously planned from the type of victim to the specific ceremony needed for the god. The sacrificial victims were usually captured warriors, but sometimes slaves, depending upon the god and needed ritual. The higher the rank of the warrior, the better he was considered as a sacrifice. The victims would then take on the persona of the god they were to be sacrificed for. The victims would be housed, fed, and dressed accordingly. This process could last up to a year. When the sacrificial day arrived, the victims would participate in the specific ceremonies of the deity. These ceremonies were used to exhaust the victims so that they would not struggle during the ceremony. Then priests performed the sacrifice, usually at the top of a pyramid. Each victim would be laid upon a table, held down, and subsequently have their hearts cut out. Aztec civilization was a fascinating combination of brutality and beauty. Starting in the Valley of Mexico, the Aztecs spread their doctrine of splendor and horror across Mesoamerica. Their penchant for human sacrifice, coupled with their love of drawings, sculpture, music, poetry, and philosophy, boggles the Western mind. Nowhere is that dichotomy better seen than in the metaphors of Aztec art. For example, the hummingbird represented the sun god, the eagle represented the warrior, and flowers represented the beauty of life. The cosmology of Aztec religion divided the world into heavens and earthly layers, or netherworlds. Each level was associated with a specific set of deities and astronomical objects. The most important celestial entities in Aztec religion are the sun, the moon, and the planet Venus. 
the Aztecs were popularly referred to as people of the sun. Aztec philosophy included ethics and aesthetics. Its central question was how people could find stability and balance in an ephemeral world. The Aztec world of grandeur, magnificence, sophistication, and savagery came to an abrupt end early in the 16th century. The Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire will be closely looked at in a future episode of our series narrative. We interrupt our regular series narrative to address a few of the many listener comments and questions. For expediency and privacy concerns, I will only divulge the initials of those who reached out to me. All right, let's begin our first Q&A session. Listener GW asks, What does the word Chicxulub mean? Well, that place name was mentioned in Episode 2. Chicxulub Impact Crater is buried underneath the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Its center is located offshore near the town of Chicxulub. The impact crater was formed when a large asteroid or comet struck the Earth slightly more than 66 million years ago, and worldwide climate disruption from the event caused the mass extinction of all non-avian dinosaurs. Chicxulub, ironically, is Mayan for Trail of the Devil. Listeners E and K ask, In Episode 3, you mentioned North America was reached by its first human populations during the last glacial period of the current Ice Age. Are we living in an Ice Age? Actually, yes. We do live in an Ice Age. At least five major Ice Ages have occurred throughout Earth's history. The earliest was over 2 billion years ago, and the most recent one began approximately 3 million years ago and continues today. Currently, we are in a warm interglacial period that began about 11,000 years ago. Viewer NFB, who watches the YouTube version of this series, also asks a question regarding Episode 3. You refer to our ancestors as hominids and homonins. What is the difference between these two similar terms? Okay, this is complicated, but I'll try and keep my answer simple. Hominid, which ends with the letter D, describes the family of great apes who share a common ancestor, which presently includes humans, chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. Hominin which ends with the letter N, is a subfamily which presently refers to humans and their close human-like extinct relatives, such as Neanderthals. Referring to episode 4, D.H. wants to know where Kennewick Man was found in North America. The 9,000-year-old prehistoric Paleo-American male skeletal remains, known as Kennewick Man, or the Ancient One, were found on a bank of the Columbia River in the city of Kennewick, Washington State, USA. Viewer JC refers to Episode 5's explanation of the importance of historical dates and chronology and asks, I have an interest in history, but I'm frustrated when trying to place important events chronologically in a timeline. For example, what came first, the American or French Revolution? I understand what you mean, JC, and have encountered many smart people with the same problem. It's difficult for countless individuals to establish in their minds the sequence of historical dates on a linear scale. I disagree with the prevailing mantra of avoiding boring dates, 
when teaching history in schools. Contrary to popular opinion, I'm convinced that dates are the key tool in better understanding the evolution and timeline of human history. To this end, I regularly suggest to chronologically challenge folks, such as yourself, to remember one important date per century, thus allowing the mind to better situate other significant dates within the context of their proper epoch. For example, a well-known North American trigger date for the 16th century is 1534, representing the arrival of French explorer Jacques Cartier on mainland Canada. This important event set in motion powerful forces that would eventually change northeastern North America. The continent before and after 1534 was profoundly different. Each century, going back thousands of years, has at least one pivotal date worth remembering. Good luck, JC. Here is a question from RT. Dear Mark, I notice in different episodes you use the word kilometer and alternate between its two recognized pronunciations. Keep the episodes coming. I really enjoy them. Good catch, RT. It's true that I sometimes say kilometer and other times kilometer. Like many words in our wonderful and colorful English language, both pronunciations are widely used. Generally, the British say kilometer, which resembles the French kilomètre. Americans usually prefer kilometer. I've spent time in both countries, so why not use both? Many words can be pronounced differently for clarity, effect, or emphasis. I'm not a spelling or pronunciation snob. I welcome and often enjoy variety, as long as an acceptable, well-known, or standard version is used. If you choose to spell or pronounce a word in a way that no one else on the planet does, then that's an obvious problem. But if you employ the word in a fashion that is widely recognized by a large audience, ethnic group, region, country, or profession, then that makes sense and adds color to the language. Speaking of the word color, its spelling varies, like many words, in different English-speaking countries. And now, a few comments, considerations, and reviews, starting with listener H.F., who shares the following. Mr. Vinette, in your introduction episode, you declared that the sweeping saga of North America would be presented in a positive manner. At first, my wife and I wondered what you meant by the word positive. After listening to the first nine episodes of your series, we now understand and are enjoying your objective, common sense, stimulating, and upbeat presentation. Too often, nowadays, history is written, recorded, taught, and communicated in a revisionist negative fashion with a contemporary agenda or axe to grind. Keep up the good work. A.L. writes, I listen to your podcast on Spotify, then watch your show on YouTube for the accompanying images. Please keep doing both versions. J.J. states, Congratulations, Mark, for your Denari novels. I just finished The Frozen Raptor and enjoyed it immensely. Historical mystery thrillers are my favorite genre, and I plan on devouring the other books in your series. NB messaged, I just listened to episode one. Sounds like my kind of history. MS declares, I love that you start your series in the deep past. DR sent this text. Diving into Native American history interests me quite a bit. I already subscribed and listened to the first few episodes of your podcast. Definitely think I'm going to enjoy this. 
Here is an Apple Podcast iTunes five-star review from SB. We tend to think that North America has a meager history compared to the rest of the world. The truth is that there is a rich heritage just waiting to be explored. This podcast is doing it, and I'm already hooked. And finally, QC announces, I love your series and have joined your Patreon group. Thank you, folks, for all the good questions and lovely feedback. Keep them coming. Next episode, we begin our search for the first non-Indigenous explorers to reach North America as we examine the many pre-Columbian transatlantic contact theories. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the story. <laughs>